you uh, to week number four in our Red Letter Day series. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, it's the day the Bible tells us that Jesus rode into Jerusalem for what would be uh, the final week of his life. We've been looking at important statements that Jesus made while he was hanging on the cross, while he was dying there at Calvary. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to take it right now and turn, if you would, to John chapter 19. Uh, beginning in verse 28. We're going to start there in just a moment. Before we do that, uh, very exciting. Our facility just on the other side of this wall is coming to an end, and uh, we expect, yeah, we can celebrate that too. Uh, there are a few things that need to be done this week, a few things that will need to be done over the next few weeks. We've got some questions about furnishings and making sure that we have everything need, but we know this. We're using that space next weekend because we need it, and uh, we are very, very excited about it and, uh, and hope that you all are too. Uh, we're going to celebrate with a grand opening of sorts probably later on in May, uh, but next weekend, because of Easter weekend and all the people we're expecting, we will be using that space, and we'll have plenty of direction for you when you arrive so that you know where your kids uh, need to be. Speaking of next weekend, we are doing something a little different here for Easter weekend this year. We're going to celebrate with five identical worship services, two on Saturday at 4.30 and 6 o'clock, three on Sunday morning, 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15, our regular service times. We're expecting a really, really large crowd. Uh, I'm, I'm needing two things from you. The first thing is this, who are you inviting? Uh, who are you going to invite to be here with you next weekend? We want you to bring them with you. And uh, if you look in the seat backs in front of you, I don't know where mine is. There are little cards. And uh, there are little cards that list the service time. Uh, they're in those containers in the, in the seats. We've got them back at the Info Hub. Take as many as you want. Uh, we have no need for them after this week. So take as many as you want. Use them as a conversation starter. Uh, invite somebody to be here with you next weekend. People are more likely to accept your invitation uh, for a weekend like Easter than any other weekend throughout the year. So uh, let Let's do that. The second thing is I need your help uh, in which service you come to. Uh, we're expecting really large crowds at 945, 11, 15. We know those will always be our largest crowds. Could you help us out next weekend? Would you be willing to do Saturday with us, 4.30 or 6 o'clock? Uh, would you be willing to come at 8.30 on Sunday morning? Uh, let's make sure we have as many seats as possible in these services. Uh, you can come to a service like this if you're bringing a friend and this is the only service they can come to. Otherwise, I'd love to see you on Saturday at 4.30 or 6 or on Sunday morning at 8.30. I won't yell at you if I see you, but I'd sure love to see you at, at one of those other services. Uh, Finally, also, this Friday is Good Friday, and we'll be celebrating that here as a church. We're not doing a specific service. Instead, we're, we've created, we're creating kind of a come-and-go experience from 11 in the morning till 7 o'clock at night. Whether you come for 15 minutes or two hours, this room is going to be open and available. There'll be communion here. Uh, there'll be some music playing, some scripture on the screen. We'll have some things that you can do. It's your time. Uh, it's your space to be quiet, and uh, we'll have some hosts here to welcome you. You won't be here by yourself. That's 11 to 7 this Friday, and you are certainly invited uh, to be here with us as we reflect on the cross. John chapter 19, starting in verse 28. That's where we were last weekend. We're going to start there this weekend because it ties right with where we're going today. It starts this way. Later, knowing that all was now completed, Jesus is hanging on the cross here, and so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And we unpacked those words a little bit last week. If you missed that, you can check it out on our website or through our podcast. It says, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now, this wasn't a refreshing, welcomed drink by any means. This is just an additional way of their torture of Jesus. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. 
That's our red letter statement for today. If you've got your Bible, you might want to underline that. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Three words. It is finished. Uh, Not a cry of anguish. uh, Not a cry of defeat, but just the opposite, really. It's a statement of victory. Uh, It's a declaration that God has won, that Jesus has reached his goal, accomplished everything that his Father had sent him to do. And because of that, he is able to say with great confidence, it is finished. My mission is accomplished. You know, read through the entire book of John and you'll pick up on various continuing threads, similar language that Jesus used all throughout the book. Uh, Look at what he says, a couple of verses for you, all the way back to John chapter 4. It's on the screen for you. Verse 34, Jesus said, my food, uh, what gives me energy, uh, what gives me purpose, what gives me motivation, said Jesus, is to do what? To do the will of him who sent me and to what? To finish his work. John chapter 5, verse 36, another situation. Jesus responded, I have the testimony weightier than that of John for the work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And so the Father has given Jesus Christ an assignment in coming to this world, work to accomplish, why here on earth? And so Jesus came to this earth with a clear goal, a clear motivation, and a clear purpose. Now, the word finish here, or the word accomplish in other translations, means to complete. It means to bring to an end. It means to bring to an, uh, to finish. And so you can kind of see that from these statements, Jesus' life was sort of laser-focused. Uh, his mission, his will, everything that he was coming to do was laser-focused on accomplishing the will of his Father. Now, go over a few chapters closer to where we are for today. John chapter 17, towards the end of his life on earth, the verb tense changes. Uh, Jesus says this, see if you can pick it up. John 17, verse 4. I have brought you glory, Jesus said, on earth by what? By completing the work you gave me to do. Now these words here suggest that his work on earth was done uh, with the exception of one final important task. Now move on ahead to where we are today in John chapter 19, verse 30 again. Jesus is almost dead. He's hanging on the cross. He's been there for six hours now, struggling for his life. And before taking his final breath, he cries out, it is finished. You know, both finished and the words complete or accomplished, they all come from the the same Greek word. It's the Greek word teleo. Uh, It means to bring to an end. It means to to finish. But Jesus' exact statement on the cross, his statement, it is finished, is really translated with one Greek word. Uh, one Greek word, uh, it's the word tetelestai. You've got it in your notes. It's the word tetelestai. It's translated to end, uh, to complete, to discharge a debt. So Jesus cries, it is finished, or tetelestai, I, I did it. Uh, mission complete, it is finished. You know, this one little word, tetelestai, this one little Greek word, tetelestai, I mean, it has so much significant meaning. It is, it is packed with so much power and so much promise. And it was a familiar word. Uh, It was a word that was used in at least several ways during ancient days. It was appropriate uh, for a servant, after completing a day's work, to return to his master and say, Tetelestai, the work is done. I've done everything that you asked me to do. It is finished. Uh, A merchant, it was common for a merchant to look at a shopper or look at a consumer and say, Tetelestai, the debt has been paid, paid in full. You're good to go. In fact, uh, some ancient documents, ancient receipts have been recovered from the Roman Empire, these pieces of paper that had the words imprinted on them, tetelestai, like a stamp. It's paid in full. You're all accounted for. 
It was also common for a priest during these days when receiving a lamb, checking it over to make you that it was sure that it was perfect and ready, unblemished, ready for a sacrifice, to say the words, Tetelestai. It is perfect. It is complete. It is finished. You know, moments before he died, Jesus mouthed his final words, Tetelestai. It is finished. No more to be done. The debt has been paid. But maybe the question that we ought to ask this morning is what? What is finished? Uh, What is it that Jesus came to do that has now been complete? Well, Hebrews chapter 10 describes this work for us. It describes this mission, this motivation of Jesus. I want to look at a few of these verses together with you today. They'll be available for you on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 4, the writer here says this, but those sacrifices, and he's referring to the sacrifices of the past. If you've read the Old Testament before, the the sacrifices of the Old Testament, uh, the sacrifices that have continued on in the New Testament uh, with with the temple, He says, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. So every time you see a sacrifice, every time these people saw these sacrifices, they were reminded of their sins. But then he says, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I mean, their covering only goes so far. Therefore, though, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but this, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Again, Jesus is saying these earthly sacrifices, they only go so far. They only have a temporary covering for sin. But then Jesus said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. You know, Jesus came to this earth more than just with a diplomatic mission. It wasn't a plan B on God's part. Jesus' mission to the earth is clear. He came to this earth to do the will of his Father in heaven. He had a very specific, a very clear assignment. Nothing more, nothing less. And and when Jesus said, it is finished, it meant that he had fulfilled the plans of his Father, every single one of them. And I'll break this down for you a little more today. Last week, we talked about Jesus Christ as the incarnation. Uh, It's a word that means that Jesus came to this earth both as God and he came in this physical body as a man. Well, this morning I want to continue, and it's going to sort of feel kind of classroomish for a little while, but then I'll help you understand why it applies. I want to teach you another word today, actually two words that go together. And you can copy these into your notes. But not only did Jesus come as our incarnation, but he also came as our substitutionary atonement. And I realize I need to do something every once in a while that make you think I'm smart, so I'm giving you a kind of a complicated word today, but I think that you'll find it's a pretty awesome statement that Jesus came to the earth is our substitutionary atonement. Look again at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. It says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a what? But a body you prepared for me. God gave our Savior, he gave Jesus Christ a body. With that body, Jesus came to the earth, and he lived on this earth for 33 years. Uh, He came as what some like to call a substitutionary atonement. And with that in mind, we can learn at least three things about, or two things about Jesus here. I only got, the first thing is this, uh, that Jesus is our perfect substitute. Jesus is the perfect substitute. You know, the word substitutionary comes from a word that we are all familiar with. Uh, It comes from the word substitute. Uh, If you're in high school, uh, you love hearing that you're having a sub today, don't you? I mean, it just makes your day. All right, we got a sub. How can we mess with them? What can we do uh, to our sub today? Uh, maybe you remember back to those high school days and all of the grief that you gave to your sub. 
Uh, maybe you are a substitute teacher and you know the pain and you know it's real and you know it's very deep because you're not appreciated and those kids, they, they don't respect you. They don't take care of you. Uh, it's the word substitute. I, I know this word substitute really well because while some guys can talk about their high school basketball days and say, you know, I played forward or I played guard, I can say I was a substitute. Yep, that was me. Spent a lot of time on the bench. And uh, every once in a while when our team was up by like 28 points with like 23 seconds left, the coach would call my name and, you know, I'd go running out on the floor with all of my energy and with all of my enthusiasm. And I'd give it everything I had, you know, hoping to uh, to score one play to to make a basket. But the word substitute, it means to take someone else's place. Uh, It means to go on someone's behalf. And by coming to the earth and giving his life on the cross, Jesus became a substitute for us. Now, we deserved the cross. He didn't. But he took our place. Now, notice the uh, next word here, because this next word gives us a greater indication of why this was so important. Because not only was Jesus our substitute, But number two, uh, Jesus is the perfect atonement for our sin. Now, the word atonement means to cover over. Uh, And by shedding his blood on the cross, Jesus became the perfect atonement for sin. But I don't know about you, but at times this can cause me to ask, but why blood? I mean, why was it so important? Why did God require that blood be shed for the atonement of sin? Well, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, it says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness. Uh, That means that money won't do the job. Uh, Money can't buy you or uh, help you get out of the mess that sin has created in your life. You know, the Apostle Peter said that silver and gold have nothing when it comes to God's economy and what heaven requires. It's Christ's blood. And Ephesians explains that we receive redemption that we receive forgiveness, that we receive new life and new beginnings and new start overs because of Jesus' blood on the cross. His blood was the perfect atonement for sin. It's the only thing that's able to cover over the the mess that sin has made. Now, if you've ever wondered why sacrifices were such a big deal in the Old Testament or even on into the New Testament, uh, hopefully this will give you a little bit greater understanding. The law was given to Moses by God, and we see this in the Old Testament, and the law required sacrifices. Uh, The law stated that there was this payment, there was a penalty for the sin on the earth. And so because sin had created this debt, a payment was expected for each person's life. And so that's why the Israelites would bring lambs and they would bring other animals for a sacrifice to the high priest uh, to be sacrificed in the tabernacle or later on in the temple. Uh, And so they would bring these lambs. They would bring these lambs as sin offerings. Now, suppose I was living during these ancient days. Uh, It would be appropriate for me, as often as possible, to take a lamb uh, to the priest for a sacrifice for my own sin. And the way it would go is that the priest would take the lamb. uh, The priest would lay his hands reverently on the lamb's head, and it would be my responsibility to confess my sins before the priest in such a way that all of my sin and all of that guilt was being transferred to the innocent lamb. And then in kind of a gruesome way, the priest would take the lamb, slit the lamb's throat so that the blood would be shed, but again, as a sign of the sacrifice, uh, of the payment, because of what sin had created. There had to be a payment uh, for these sins. Now, sacrifices took place 
you know, all week long, all year round, but special sacrifices were uh, offered on important days, on these important holidays all throughout the year. Uh, one special day the people of Israel observed was known as the Day of Atonement. And it was the most solemn day of the year. It was the day when the high priest uh, would gather all of the people together and take two goats. Uh, he would take these two goats, and one of them would be sacrificed, much like the lamb that I just described. But with, other, with the other goat, again, they would, he, he would reverently lay his hands on the head of this goat and, and talk about and, and cast and put all of the sins of the people on this goat only to release the goat out into the wilderness as a sign that the sins were being carried away. Now, the live goat, the one released, uh, the Bible says the term that they use to describe this goat is the word azazel. It literally means scapegoat. Uh, it's where we get our word scapegoat. It, it, uh, and so the high priest, again, would lay his hands on the scapegoat, transferring all of the sins of the people onto the goat, and then the goat would be released out into the wilderness. Now, this ritual signified the removal of sin, and it meant that the great penalty or payment of sin had been averted, or at least for another year. And, and that was the problem with these sacrifices because they were only temporary. They only went so far. You know, God's price tag for redemption, God's price tag for forgiveness, it's always been blood. But the salvation found in these sacrifices was only temporary. And the people of God knew this. And they realized this because it was painful and it was expensive and it was wearing for them to return over and over again for these sacrifices. And it was like this roller coaster of emotions of one day forgiven, only the next day to be found guilty again. And God knew this and realized this, and the people did too. But what the people didn't realize is that God was preparing their hearts. He was placing in them an anticipation and a hope for the Messiah who would one day come and be the final sacrifice for all. You know, he he would come as the sacrifice, Jesus Christ. It's why we call him the Lamb of God. And what does the Lamb of God do? The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, describes what Jesus did for us. It says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 21 says, God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin because he was sinless and perfect, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, sin had made a mess of this world, dating all of the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And God doesn't tolerate sin. And because he's holy and just, sin must be accounted for. He requires that there be a penalty for sin, that it has to be accounted for. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. Uh, That's why Jesus became like one of us, taking the weight uh, of this sin onto his own shoulders. It was for all people. It was for people of the past. It was people for the present then, and it's for you and me today. And with his bruised, and beaten body, Jesus shed his blood on the cross. With his dead, our sins were atoned for once and for all. They were covered over. It's why Jesus can say, Tetelestai. It is finished. It is complete. The debt has been paid. There are two examples in Scripture that I want to give you quickly that give evidence to the fact that God was satisfied with Jesus as our substitutionary atonement. The first one is this. The veil was torn in two. Luke chapter 23, verses 44 and 45 says it was about the sixth hour, again, right before Jesus was to die, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. 
and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now the veil in the temple was torn in two according to scriptures. Uh, There was a veil there. The people knew that. And that veil separated the holy place from the most holy place. And the people knew and realized, the high priest knew, that God's spirit resided in the most holy place. And only the high priest was allowed to go into that most holy place and only one time of the year. What time of the year? The Day of Atonement. That was the only time that he could go in before God. Anyone else went in there any other time of the year? Instant death, certainly. And so the high priest is allowed to go in this place one time of the year to be close for God. But when the veil was torn in two, it's a reminder for us that there's no longer a separation between men and women and God. A human high priest was no longer necessary. Uh, Hebrews 9, 11-14 reminds us that Jesus is our new high priest. Uh, because of what he's done, because of his death, because he went through the temple for us, his blood that was shed has made it perfect, a perfect sacrifice once and for all, and you and I can now go directly to God. That's why we can say as a church that you can find your way back to God because of what Jesus has done, the path that he's made available for us. Jesus made that possible. Now there's another example in Scripture that shows us that God was satisfied with Jesus as our substitutionary atonement. And I'm going to finally switch over to this. You want to hook me up here because I know I'm breaking up, but but I'll tell you I tend to go a little TV show when when I get one of these in my hand, so it might get a little loud in here. We got a little TV preacher going on. Uh, the second thing, the second example that we see is that God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're going to celebrate that together when we come next weekend. Uh, if God had not been satisfied with the death of His Son Jesus Christ, Jesus would have remained in the tomb. But He didn't remain in the tomb, and God raised Him from the dead, and it signified His stamp of approval on the transaction. Again, it's why Jesus could say, Tetelestai, the debt has been paid, it is finished, all is complete. Now, why is this important? Because again, the only reason that you and I can have a relationship with God today is because what Jesus did for us on the cross. I mean, eternal life is made available to you and I today because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, Christian writer and speaker Ian Thomas said it this way, the life that Jesus lived qualified him for the death that he died. And the death that he died qualifies us for the life that he lived. Jesus Christ came to this world as our substitute. His blood paid the perfect price uh, for our sins, uh, the sin, the mess that had been made with your life and with mine. And it's why today we can call him our Savior. Uh, It is finished. The debt has been paid. A couple of weeks ago, my uh, wife and kids and I, we were traveling back from the Smoky Mountains and had a great time uh, enjoying spring break down there. And uh, we love our kids. We're crazy about them. But if you're a parent, you know those little kiddos can every once in a while kind of take you uh, to the edge and drive you crazy. Um, and it wasn't quite the case. But we're driving home, and I was just really thankful. We were really thankful that there was some naps going on and there was some book reading going on. And so Jenny and I finally had some peace and quiet in the van. But, you know, what do you do sometimes when you've got quiet? Well, you just kind of create noise. And so we uh, turned on the radio, and we were listening to Dave Ramsey. And uh, we're, we're big Dave Ramsey fans. Maybe you've listened to his radio show before. And, and if you haven't, people will often call into the radio station and tell their story about how they had all of this debt, but over a course of so many months or a couple of years, you know, it was finally paid off. 
And so if you've watched the show before they, or listened to the show before, they make a big deal about it. And so if you're calling in to say you're debt-free, you don't whisper it, but they cry out, you know, one, two, three, and then mom and dad and even all the kids will scream, we're debt-free, and it's a big deal, and the music plays, and, you know, you start crying as you're driving down the road. Well, I can't believe they did it and all that. And so, uh, I mean, it was really cool to listen to, and I, I've heard it before, and you've heard it too. Well, Jenny and I have been working really hard to stay out of debt and to move to this place where, you know, we can say, you know, we're, we're, we're debt-free. You know, some of you are there, you know, over the course of 12 years of marriage, we've worked hard in that. And, um, you know, we're, again, we're, we're looking forward to that day when we can pay off our home and, uh, and say, you know, we're debt-free. Uh, and we've probably been a little too cheapskate along the way in doing that. But, um, you, know, you can do that now. We, we know that we could qualify in that because Dave Ramsey allows you to say it even if you've got a home mortgage. But we got our eyes set on paying off the house. You know, we want to pay off that home. We're saving our phone call for when that home's paid off. Well, this past week, we refinanced our home. Great deal, great opportunity. And, and they handed us a piece of paper that said 13 years. Uh, you got 13 years left, and so we can kind of be motivated by that and look at that and think, okay, there's a date in sight, but, but we're also looking at it thinking, you know, I wonder if we get there sooner. And, and so, again, we're encouraged by this. But I'll tell you what I'm going to be encouraged by is by once one day receiving that piece of paper in the mail that says, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Mumaw, congratulations, you know, uh, you're debt-free. Um, would you like to open a home equity loan, you know, as I'm sure what it would say after that. But, you know, again, it'll be a great day. And that's a great motivator in our life right now. But I'll tell you that paying off my home uh, isn't nearly as important to me uh, as the decision that I made when I was 12 years old to invite Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And um, I remember that day. I remember that moment. Uh, I was at Lake Springfield Baptist Camp as a young middle school kid. And uh, after one of the services, there was an opportunity to go forward and spend some time with a group of people. And that night, I invited Jesus Christ to be my Savior, and I was later baptized. And um, that means all the world to me because I know that on that day and in that moment, um, God pronounced on my life debt-free. Uh, that my sins had been removed, that they were accounted for, and uh, Jesus uh, is my substitute, and he is my great atonement, and all of the sins of my past, and even today, that they're accounted for. And I have new life, I have eternal life, because of what Jesus uh, did for me. And I'm wondering if you've got a story like that. Uh, do you have a moment in your life that you can look back to when you sense that God was working in you in such a way, and in that moment you surrendered, uh, and you invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Maybe you said some words like, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need your forgiveness. Um, I, I want eternal life today. Now, maybe it was at a camp for you. Uh, maybe it was uh, with uh, your youth ministry, and you guys went off on a retreat or to a conference together. Uh, Maybe it was while you were in college and there was a Bible study being offered on your campus and you gave your life to Christ after one of those studies one night. Maybe it was here, you know, on a Sunday morning or something and you raised your hand or you knew that you were speaking those words into your heart or you came to the front of the room after the service and you prayed with someone and you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And you know that on that day your life was pronounced debt-free. I want to know, do you have a moment like that? Do you have a time in your life that you can turn back to and say, yes, everything changed on that day? Because here's the thing about God's love. As awesome and as wonderful as Jesus' death on the cross is, as great as his love is and how far it covers, here's the thing. You have to take it. 
Like you have to receive it into your own life to accept this truth into your life. It's kind of like a gift that's waiting to be unwrapped. And for some of you, I don't know if you've unwrapped that gift yet. Romans chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll what? You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And the great news about that is Jesus' love is enough. That his sacrifice was perfect and is available. Great enough to cover your sin and great enough to cover mine. You know, the debt that sin had created in this world, you know, it was removed because of what Jesus had done. But it doesn't just happen for you. It's kind of like if the bank calls you up tomorrow and says, hey, we've got a check for $50,000 here for you waiting to be deposited in your account, but we can't do it for you. You have to come down here and sign off on it so that it can be deposited in your account. And eternal life with God is kind of like that same way. It is there and it is ready and it is available, but you have to take it. You have to confess with your mouth. You have to say that you want it. You know, as Romans says, you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And if you do this, then you will be saved. And I just want to make sure to be very crystal clear with you about this today because here's what concerns me. I have this burden on my heart this morning that some of you are here today and you know the news and you've been here for a while and you think that you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But you've never played your part in this. You've never surrendered. You've never invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You've never allowed God to move in your life in such a way to that place of surrender where you're willing to wave the white flag and say, you know what, I need Jesus. And I need forgiveness. And I can't do this on my own. You know, good works won't bring you back to God. Being here every single Sunday won't take you back to God. Your baptism as an infant won't get you back to God. You know, you've got to be able to point to a moment you know, at least a place in your life where you were able to say with confidence, I know that on that day or in that time of life, my life was changed forever. And it didn't mean that I knew the answer to every question. It didn't mean my, my life was anywhere near perfect. But that day or that season of my life, I met Jesus and I am confident in that. Do you have a story like that? Can you point to a moment in your life when you made such a decision? I mean, those words, it is finished. Jesus said, you know, those words unleash good news for every single one of us here today. And and it's good news for those of you who are here today and maybe sadly you've lost direction in your life right now. And, And the thing about it is this, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You've got a moment, you've got a season when you invited Jesus Christ into your heart. But you've been going through this time of of lack of purpose, questioning God, disappointed in yourself and in your faith but you know that you invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. You know, maybe for you that has turned into, you know, um, you know a, a tough marriage, a tough financial season. I want you to be reminded this morning of Jesus' words when he says, you know what, if you go through difficult times, you're going to face them, but take art. What does Jesus say? I have overcome the world. I mean, your, threat, your health might be threatening to overtake you, but get this, you are debt-free. Your life has been paid for in full. And nothing can ever take that away. You know, those words, it is finished. You know, others of you need to hear this because you've got a story. You've got a time. You've got a season. You've got a moment when you know you invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. But maybe it's been a long time. Maybe it hasn't. But high school happened. 
you know, and that kind of threw you off course, or maybe college happened and that threw you off course, or, or you've gone through this, you know, difficult season of, uh, of some sin in your life, a, a pattern of sin, and you know you're making bad choices. It, it could be the guilt from an affair in your past, or maybe it's a broken relationship right now. Maybe you're overwhelmed by addiction. Uh, but because of these or something of your weight is right, and it is from more than you to not go to you, forget the other the second ago, this hand release sin to the history once that came back. They tragic crave sin and walk the pre and they rise it up in the you leave the camp and you kick the go- Goat off the nearest cliff. Like, make sure that that goat never comes back to the camp. And it's true. I love that story because I think it's funny. But the sad, it is, but, but listen, but the sad truth is that some of you have given your life to Jesus Christ, but Satan is the goat that keeps getting back in your face saying you're not worth it. And because of what you've done, because of your lack of faith, that debt has returned. When it hasn't, because Satan is a liar and God's word is true. Psalm 103 verse 12 says that God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west for us. The New Testament teaches that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, God no longer sees you on your own. He sees you with Jesus as your defense, as your advocate. It's Jesus who's there with us. He stands with us. He covers over the mess that has been previously made of our lives. And finally, it is finished. That's good news for everyone here today. And it's good news for those of you that have never invited Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. And maybe some of you came today and you had no idea that you would be confronted with such a decision. But when we get to a time like this, when we get to this Easter season, when so many people are looking towards the cross, I think it's a great time for you in your life to be able to ask yourself, what does that thing mean to me? Have you ever invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Um, it's, a, it's a free gift that he's made available to you. But God won't force it on you. You have to receive it. You've got to go down to the bank and you've got to get it for yourself. And some of you are here this morning and it's available to you and you're being confronted with that message today. And I hope that you'll receive it in love. Saying, I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I think it's illustrated perfectly, greatly. Uh, in just a short clip that I want to show you from the movie Les Miserables, uh, Jean Valjean is a thief, uh, for, guilty for stealing silverware from an elderly couple, but his life is about to change forever. Watch this.